All right. Well, if you want to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1 here. going to read three verses. We're going to jump uh, from chapter 1 to chapter 3 to chapter 9. So Proverbs 1, 7 is where we're going to start. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. 3, 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One insight. Well, by way of introduction, I just want to ask you one question. What is the big need in your life right now? What's the big need in your life right now? I want you to actually think about what you really think it is, whether you would say it or not. Sometimes you you really think, if my job was easier, then I could make it, or if this and that change, then I could really begin uh, to make headway in this or that. You know, the Bible should shape us, right? The Bible should shock us. Do you write? Do you write in your Bible? I, you should. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I like to. It helps me, and. Um, I wrote this in my Bible in Ephesians. I said, I don't believe what I really need is to know you more. I said that to God. And the reason I wrote that is just because Paul in there was praying that they might know God and the power of His resurrection. And I was just thinking about it and thinking, you know what, I really don't believe that. I don't believe that's my big need. Or I would cry out, God, I need to know you more. What I need today is to know you more. What I really felt like I needed, I think, that day was I needed an easy day at work. I needed a little bit of rest. But God knows. God knows what's best. We ought to be honest with God where we're really at. But what we really need is to know God. And that's what this idea of the fear of the Lord really is. It's the right response if you really come into contact with God. Before we get into that, let's review. Um, I'm going to review what we talked about last time, the first time we went through Proverbs 1. And I'll ask it in terms of a quiz here. Anybody remember what the greatest danger to wisdom was? Not listening. That's right. We covered, I don't know, 20 verses on how Solomon is warning people, listen, listen, hear, hear, give ear. Because if you can't listen, no matter how wise the counsel is, or how much you hear or know, think you know, you can't have wisdom. 
So that was the greatest danger of wisdom. Do you, anybody remember we talked about the nature of wisdom? You can give just one. I actually said many things on it, but anybody have one they can think of? That's okay. I've got a slide here to review. Okay. What I said, it was kind of a complicated point, so I actually thought actually thought I did not present it very well, and that's probably one of the reasons I wanted to redo it in a different way. I said the nature of wisdom was multifaceted. We talked about how it's not just moral. It's not just practical. So I made this very limited and not accurate in many ways chart to try and give you just a feel for the multifaceted nature of wisdom. Most of this is review. But you see at the top, Wisdom is towards God, bottom towards man. Well, that's one of the big problems because God should really be on the whole thing. Um, but just for the nature of this, I had to put God somewhere, so I put him on the top. And on the right, I put material. And on the left, I put spiritual. And in terms of spiritual, I'm not using it in a technical term, just non-material. So let's start in this bottom right-hand corner and talk about wisdom. And this is where almost... All the world lives in terms of wisdom. It's material and it's man-centered. They live down here. And here's some Proverbs that kind of give you a feel of that. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man gets precious wealth. That's true. That's material. You need to work hard. And that's wisdom. If you're lazy, that's foolish. But that's all man-centered, right? There's, that's really just talking about the material nature of slothfulness. What about whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm? That's wise. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't uh, say, hey, I'll I'll co-sign on this loan for some guy you don't know. That's not wise. And even the world will tell you that's not wise. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. This is getting a little bit more gray, because it, that really could be kind of in the middle, because um, kindness is an attitude. It's somewhat immaterial, but... It's a manward wisdom, and this is where the world lives. They don't think about God. They don't think about the spiritual side of things. And all their wisdom, if they read Proverbs, would be, how can I get ahead materially? How can I live my life in this world in such a way as to get results? So you could say practically here is the right side of it is practically. But we know wisdom's more than that, right? Wisdom's much more than that. You could live your life in a practical way and get the material benefits of working hard and be a total fool. That's just one piece. Next slide here. Okay, so now we're moving on to the left side, which would be immaterial. Things like emotions, your heart, your intentions, Look at this first one. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. If you live over here totally in the material world, you may end up being a millionaire and being miserable. 
because the world isn't just material. You're not just material. You have a soul. And sin and anger and all these things will rot your bones. And so if you're living over here, uh, and that's where a lot of the world lives, they don't understand why they're miserable when they've got everything they thought they could ever want. It's because you're not just a bag of meat. You are made in the image of God with a soul. Let's look at this next verse. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Anger, just like just like sin, any sin, it's spiritually damaging. It's not just materially damaging. It's the same with slothfulness, right? This verse right here talks about slothfulness in terms of material material consequences, but slothfulness has spiritual consequences. The slothful man, in the same way, you could say the slothful man's bones will rot. And there's some people in the world that see this. Even secular counselors actually think about this. At my job, they ask me to talk about these um, some quote spiritual things uh, because they know that people who are living just in the material world that give no thought to their emotions or to uh, some of these spiritual side of things, they're miserable. And so they'll even ask me to talk about ways to handle stress. And one of the things in the book they gave me to teach was prayer. That's pretty amazing. They said, you need to give the kids this list of things they can do and they get upset and one of them is prayer. That's, that's amazing. It's not very often something like that happens. But it's still not wisdom, is it? Because it's totally man-centered. It's you come into a stressful situation and prayer will help you to cope with it. It has nothing to do with God. They're still down here on the manward side of wisdom. It's helpful, right? If you don't blow up and, you know, ruin, you know, kick a hole in your wall and rip your bed sheets up, that's better than, than, uh, than, than doing that, of course. But if you're praying just so you don't blow up, you're still fool. So we're going to the next one. Oh, we'll go right up here. So material Godward. This would be someone maybe like a legalist. If you lived up here in this corner, you do think about God. But you never think about the internal or the spiritual. It's like, I'm going to do these outward things for God. I'm going to look at Proverbs 19.17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Muslims do this, right? They give to the poor, and they think, wow, look, God is going to reward me. Well, what's... What's the wisdom in that? If you know in your heart you, you don't love that person at all, the only reason you gave to them was because you're on your way to a meeting. That's not pleasing in the eyes of God. That's, you're thinking about God and thinking about the, the world, how it ought to be in totally material terms. And that's not how the world is. God looks on the heart. You can't live over here in just the material. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Is it wise? Yes. But we've got to go beyond it. 
we're not just committing our outward things to God. It's got to be inward as well, right? The spiritual. So we'll go on to the last one. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. So here we've got spiritual and Godward. Things like sin. Sin has material consequences, but guilt before God is not something physical that you can see, but it is so important. If you live down here your whole life and you have sin on your account and you die and go to hell, that does not, it didn't matter. It didn't matter how wise you were down here. It didn't matter how wise you were right up here. If you did the outward things your whole life towards God and then you stand before Him and He opens up your heart and you never loved Him and you go to hell, that's a fool. And so the fear of the Lord There's so many things we could, so many Proverbs we could put up in that top left-hand thing, but I put some ones with the fear of the Lord because that's what we're talking about today. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. We've got to know God. God is a spirit. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. If you know God and you're right with God and your sin is atoned for by steadfast love, that is so much better than being down here and having all your ducks in a row, having all your bank accounts lined up, working diligently, and not knowing God at all. Well, that was uh, hopefully helpful. Um, Again, not a perfect chart. Okay, long review, but I hope that made it more clear than last time in terms of the facets of wisdom. There's many facets. So why is the fear of the Lord the beginning of all that? Why is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom? Well, Ryan made my job a lot easier because he started the whole time talking about humility, right? And so I don't have to go into some of the points there because we just ended up talking about it uh, providentially. But wisdom, if wisdom is seeing how the world really is, if wisdom is knowing how the world really works and acting accordingly, then we need a right posture towards God in every area. If we're not humble, we can't receive wisdom. We'll be wise in our own eyes. We're not seeing how the world really is. How the world really is is God is up there and we're down here. God is infinite and we're finite. God is all-powerful and we're limited. And if we can't see that, we're a fool. We've got to have humility. If you are a child, just like Ryan was talking about, you need someone to teach you. If you said to your teachers and to your parents, I don't need anyone to teach me, you would, always, you would end up a fool. And that's the way it is with God. If you say to God, God, I don't need you to teach me, then you're not, never going to be wise. You have to f- see God as how great and how vast and how big he really is. Or you will never humble yourself before Him. God's greatness shows us our limitedness and our need for Him and our posture before Him, right? Humility and fear of the Lord is a posture before God. Nobody is going to strut before God on Judgment Day. Everyone's going to fall on their face. And we need that posture now. 
if we're, if we're going to be wise. Think about the story of the man in Luke 12 who had all the things in his barn, you know. He had, he had built these bigger barns to, to get all of his crops. And he said to himself, I'm just going to, I've got everything together, everything's right. And I'm going to just eat and relax because my barns are filled. And remember what God says to him. This is pretty amazing. The story Jesus tells, he says, God says to him, you fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. I wonder if that's not what happens to every person that dies. I wonder if the last thing we all hear is the voice of God. You fool. That would be scary. That's terrifying. Imagine if he not only had all his material things in order, he had all his relationships in order. He had all his uh, religious outward rituals in order. What, was he still a fool? Absolutely. Because he didn't fear God. He wasn't right with God. We've got to have that first. There are some things that are priorities. And if you get them backward, you'll never recover. So like a foundation, it does not matter how good your roof is. If, if your house falls off a cliff in, into the, down the bank, right? If your foundation crumbles and your house falls apart, it didn't matter how good your roof was. And it's the same with God. If, we, if our posture is not right towards God, it doesn't matter all the other areas. If our, if our relationships, if our job, if our, even if our actions outwardly look right, but we're not right with God, we're fools. We've got to get our priorities right, and our first priority is God. So I want to show you a verse here, just tell you a verse. It's really helpful to me, and it's so helpful because it shows the foolishness of not fearing God. And it's Psalm 53, 5. And I'm not going to go into it just for sake of time. There's actually two ways to interpret what this is saying, and I'm going to take the less common. But I'm not going to go into all the reasons. Uh, but it says, it's talking about the people who don't know God. And it says, they're in great terror where there is no terror. So the first way you could take it would be they're scared and there's nothing to be scared of. Or you could take it that it's extremely terrifying and they don't have any fear. That the situation is actually terrifying and they don't have any fear. They're in great terror and they have no terror. It's fearful, but they have no fear. And actually just this week, there was a soldier who jumped the railing on a volcano to get a closer look and fell in. And I think last I heard he was still alive, they had got him out. But that's a good picture of it. Here's this railing, and here's this fearful thing. And who really had the fear there? Let's imagine there's a crowd standing behind the railing, and there's one guy who jumps the railing. He didn't fear. He should have feared, but he had no fear. That's terrifying. It's great terror where there is no terror. He has no terror, and that's terrifying. It's like, a, it's like a man on a cliff, and he's dancing across it. No fear, no fear. That's terrifying. And it's the same with God. You hear people curse God, and how do you feel? Like You feel like backing up, like that's scary. 
Do you not realize who you're talking about? You're talking about God. If we don't fear God, that's fearful. It's more fearful than jumping over the, the railing at a volcano. You fall and you die. That's an instant. The cliff of eternity is eternity with God, eternity forever apart from God. It's not a few seconds and it's over. It's forever. It's more terrifying. That's what Jesus said, that we ought to fear not man who just can kill the body, but fear God who can cast body and soul into hell. So it brings up a question. Hopefully you can see that it's foolish to not fear God. It's fearful to not fear God. If there's a situation where you should have fear and you have no fear, that's terrifying. Somebody can do wild and crazy things with no fear. That's fearful. It brings up this question. The fear of God is complicated, isn't it? It's not an easy subject because you're, you're, you're saying fear God, but then there's verses that make it sound like we don't fear God. You're saying fear God, and then you're saying come to God. Draw near to God. Because God is so holy, so unlike anything else, you can't just use one illustration, right? But I'll try and give you another one that shows the thing you fear you approach if it's the thing that has the most power. So I'll give you an example. I've talked to brothers here who are fearful. They have a fear. Not all the time they're afraid, but they would be concerned about somebody coming in with a gun. What do you think those brothers have? A gun. <laughs> right? So the thing they fear, they've turned to for, for protection. Why? Because it's the most powerful thing. It's like the United States with, with Russia. If we're f afraid of their atomic bombs, what should we do? Never get near an atomic bomb? Is that, has that been our strategy? No, it's get thousands of them, right? Because the thing you're afraid of, you run to for protection if it's the most powerful thing there is. Why? There's nowhere else to run. If you're afraid of atomic bombs and you decide we're not going to use them, we're only going to use regular guns, that's not going to do it. You have to run to the most powerful thing for protection. And that's how God is. If you are afraid of God, there is nowhere you can run except to God. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? You're going to wash away your own sins? You're going to hide? You're going to lie? Nothing is going to help you. There's only one place you can go, and that's to God. There's one verse that helps me. Why don't we turn here? Exodus 20.20. 20. It shows both sides. That's why it's helpful to me. It shows both sides, the fearing and the not fearing. We ought to fear God, and yet that leads us to not fearing God. Did Paul Johnson say that thing about 2020 vision? Was he talking about, he wasn't talking about this verse, was he? He's talking about some other verse in Acts. Well, that's a good thing for here. 2020 vision. You want to see things rightly? How should you see things? 
Look at this verse, Exodus 20, 20. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. So that sounds paradoxical. Don't fear. God has come to make you fear. Wow. That's a great verse to help us to understand. If we're Christians, why is it that the Bible says we ought to fear, but it also says perfect love casts out fear? It calls us God-fearers, right? Remember Mason's message on this a while ago? About how the Bible a lot of times just calls Christians those that fear the Lord. And yet, we have the least reason to fear, fear the Lord in terms of punishment, right? Because our sins are forgiven. Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones says that that verse in 1 John about perfect love casting out fear is in the context of judgment. We don't fear the judgment. As a Christian, do you fear standing before God and getting your sins punished? Not anymore, right? Jesus Christ washed away our sins, so I'm not afraid of judgment anymore. And yet, I am afraid of the judgment day. Whenever I talk to people on campus and I hear them say things, horrible things about Jesus Christ and things like, if that's the God that is, I'd rather go to hell than know that God. That is terrifying. And so here's the person who has no fear. They don't fear the judgment judgment day at all. They don't fear Jesus Christ. They don't fear rejecting him. They don't fear insulting him and mocking him. And me, well, I'm not afraid of the judgment day for myself. And yet I'm the one backing up in fear. Wow, that's terrifying. And I'll say to them, do you realize you're going to have to say that to Jesus? Say it to his face? That's going to be terrifying. It's going to be horrible. So what is it? It's just like the volcano, right? The people that, that stayed on the right side of the fence, they had more fear than the guy who jumped the fence. And yet they were safer. What? Why? Their fear kept them from being on the wrong side of the fence. Our fear of God is real. And yet, it keeps us on the right side of the fence. It keeps us safe. If we're afraid of God, if we can see that I ought to fear the God who will give uh, judgment for every single sin, I ought to fear Him, then what happens is I run to that God and I say, God, I've got to be on the right side of the fence. I've got to know You Please forgive my sins. And there's not fear anymore of judgment because of what Christ did. The fear keeps us from having to be afraid. Does that make sense? The safe people are the fearful people. The unsafe people are the fearless people. And that's exactly how it is with God. I'll read you a quote here from from Martin Lloyd-Jones that's helpful. He says this, I almost admire the courage of people who can say certain things. People who say harsh things about one another. People who refuse to forgive one another. I'm afraid to do such things. I'm afraid because I know that I myself shall give an answer for them. So he's saying, he hears people who aren't afraid to do certain things. And he says, wow, I would be afraid to say that about another brother. I'd be afraid to not forgive someone. He tells a story about a man who was in this conflict, a church split conflict, 
And as that man was dying, the others came to try and comfort him, and he refused to see them. He said, no, I won't, I won't talk to you, even on my deathbed. And Martin Lloyd-Jones says, that's fearful. Can you imagine standing before the holy God after having just refused to forgive your brother? Wow. So what? The point of all that is to show if there's no fear, that's fearful. And real fear keeps us safe because it keeps us on the right side of the fence. Now let me just ask you, are you on the right side of the fence in terms of are you right with God? Do you fear God? You know, one thing that I think is the most fearful to see is people sinning against love. Can you imagine this in your mind? Spitting in the face of Christ, you know, holes in his hands and his feet. He died for you and you say, I hate you. That is fearful. The, so to see such great love and to see such great hatred towards it, that is so fearful. To see a kid whose parents are pleading with him, please don't do this, uh, turn this way, and they spit in their parents' face, that's fearful. That kid, you start, you begin to tremble for them because you know if they reject that, what's left? What do they have? It's scary. What about you? Do you fear God? Do you fear Him enough to turn to Jesus Christ? Do you fear? There's people here in this room who have rejected Jesus Christ and His great love. Does that cause you to fear? You're not right with Him. You don't know Him. He's not your treasure. You're dancing along the edge of a cliff, eternity on one side or the other, and you think, maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow I'll back off. Maybe tomorrow I'll get right with God. That's to see you don't see it rightly. Fear God that you may not fear. He came to make them fear so that they, so that they might not sin against Him. Well, it's not easy to explain. I don't know that I can't explain it perfectly, but hopefully it's at least understandable. So let's move to the practical outworking of this. How does this affect, once you have become a Christian, how does the fear of God affect wisdom? We said it's the foundation of wisdom, right? It's the beginning of wisdom because we have to fear God. We have to have this right posture before God to, in order to receive wisdom at all. But, not only that, it helps us to balance our position on the chart. Balance all these different facets of wisdom. The fear of God is actually a great help. It helps because it's all-encompassing. God, if we have a fear of God, what we're fearing is the God that is everywhere. That God that created everything. It's not just spiritual. It's not just your morning devotion, it's, and it's not just keeping your house clean, it's every piece in between. It's the material, God made that. It's the spiritual, God made that. It's the relationships with other people, God made those. And it's our relationship with God, it's all of it. And if we fear God, it'll bring us into right relationship in every area. Why? Because God is in every area. God created every area. So if I want to not sin against a brother, you know what's going to help me? Fearing God, knowing that God has made 
every person in his image, and even some of them are his children. That's going to help me in relationships. If I want to do a good job at my job, you know what's going to help me? Knowing that God gave me the job and that God cares and that God sees even when no one else sees. It's, it's on every side we know if we fear God that he's there and that it matters. It's paradoxical too because not only does it increase the importance of everything in our life because we know God's there, God's with us, the almighty God is watching and is involved. It also loosens our grip on those things because they're not ultimate anymore. God is. So I'll give you an example. Let's use money as an example. If you fear God, you can let go of money. Why? Because money is not ultimate. If you, if you know what God is like, the holy God of the Bible, that's everywhere, that gave you life and breath and everything else, what's money? You can give it away. You don't have to hoard it. You don't have to place your value based on how much money you have or don't have. Why? Because you know an almighty God. It loosens your grip on it. And yet, at the same time, it increases the importance of it in one way. Why? Because you know how you use that money. It's not just for yourself. You're going to have to give an account to that almighty God. You see how it does both? It increases the importance and it loosens your grip. God is ultimate. Money is not ultimate. And yet, the ultimate God has given you that money and you will give an account to him. It's the same with relationships. If you fear God, if you know that God is God, you're giving an account to Him for everything He's ever done, everything you've ever done, and God has given you relationships, are those relationships ultimate where you find your value? No. Why? Because you know the Almighty God. Isn't He the one? Wouldn't you rather be right with God, be wrong with everybody? You would if you feared God. And yet, it lifts the importance of every person in your life. Why? Because God made that person. It loosens our grip. We don't have to have praises from people because we know God. We fear God. And yet, we are careful how we deal with people because of the Almighty God who made them, who loves loves them. I mean, think about how you would talk to people if you really thought this person, Jesus Christ, died for them and loved them so much that he became a man and died. You would treat them with utmost importance because of their relationship with God. Mason, in one of his messages, talked about fearing God being a God consciousness at all times. God consciousness will help us in every area. It'll balance out the different facets of wisdom. I'll give you just another couple more examples, just repeating the same thing about the fear of God loosening our grip and increasing the importance of it, everything. This is somewhat humorous in one way, but it's a good example. One time, somebody came to our house and walked in the door and Joy had been playing with her toys and if you're a parent you know that there's times where you let kids get out every toy in the house just so you can sit for a minute and 
it was pretty bad. But the person walked in, and the first thing they said was, wow, this is a mess. <laughs> and it was. It was a big mess. But because I fear God, it doesn't matter to me what they think. But you know what? When Even though that person thought it was a mess, uh, my house and my clothes and everything is so much cleaner than it was before I became a Christian. Why? Because I know it matters to God. When nobody's around. Nobody, nobody's coming into the house and opening up my drawers, pulling back the sheets to see. But I do know that it honors God. You know, there's a proverb that's helped me a lot. It says, He who is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. It's such a practical verse. You want to let your house fall apart? There's two ways to do it. You can destroy it yourself or never do any, never fix anything. Either way, in 20 years, your house is going to be falling in on itself. You could do it yourself or you could let it, let it do it by neglect. And either way, the end is the same. And that's helpful. God cares about what you do in the little things. And so you see how the cleanliness of the house, the house is actually cleaner than it was. Why? Because I realized one day, I actually remember I was praying about what pleases God. I said, God, what, what's pleasing to you? Is my job pleasing to you? And I just tried to go through every area of my life trying to think, is my job pleasing to you? Is my house pleasing to you? Is my uh, Bible reading pleasing to you? Just every area I could think of. And God convicted me about uh, my cleanliness not being pleasing to Him, that I was careless towards my wife and one, and on one hand and on the other hand just towards the things He's given me to steward. The fear of God. You can, you can tell me my house is a mess and that's okay because I, I'm ultimately accountable to God, not you. And on the other hand, I do want to keep it clean because of God. Well, we could do this for hours, just keep going on about different issues, but your words, your friendships, your emotions, your family, your marriage, your work, your job, all of it will be different. You'll be able to act in a wise way if you don't have a tight grip on it, if it's not ultimate, if God's ultimate, you fear Him, not losing your job, not, not, not losing your money, not losing some relationship. If God is ultimate, you'll be able to act wisely. Because whenever that's ultimate, you can't see clearly and you can't receive wisdom from God. He's got to be your ultimate. And it will change everything. It's the foundation and it's the ballast, right? It's the weight that keeps the boat from, from flipping. It's, it's the anchor for us that keeps us grounded in all these other situations. What's really important We need to fear God. He deserves to be feared. He's a good God. And if we fear Him, we'll run to Him. We'll be right with Him. All right. Well, let's just pray and have a meal together. Lord, we just come to You and we know we fall short in many areas. 
Lord, would you help us? Would you be near to us so that we might fear you, that we may not sin? Lord, would you be our anchor in these situations where we feel like this something's big and we lose sight of how big and awesome you are, how you're ultimate. God, thank you so much for pulling us back from the edge of a cliff and for opening our eyes and not letting us fall over before you've saved us. Thank you for dying for us. We want to honor you, Lord. We need help in this area. We just hand it to you. We're thankful to you. Amen.